Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast from eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Peter Foster. Peter Foster is the Europe editor of the Daily Telegraph. Uh, Peter, it's now the end of the summer holidays. People are back to school, back at their desks. So let's use at least part of this podcast, uh, if you if you don't mind, to sort of catch up where we stand. Um, just before the summer, the Prime Minister, Theresa um, May, published the Chequers paper, which is the official position of the government, as I understand it, on the future relationship between the UK and the European Union post-Brexit. But as soon as it was published, as you know much better than I do, it seemed to be attacked on, on all sides. So from your point of view, what is the, the status uh, of this Chequers proposal? Well, Chequers, as proposed, I think is pretty clearly dead. Uh, there were lots of bits of Chequers. Chequers covered the way that the Brits saw the regulatory alignment piece between, our, between the UK and the EU economies go, which, of course, they'd left out of the customs paper that they produced in June. Uh, and it's pretty clear that the EU is not happy with that. Um, the the regular the alignment, particularly on things like environments, social protections, etc. The Brits have said it won't be uh, any worse than it is now. Uh, but the Europeans, I think, will push for more dynamic alignment. So we'll we'll keep in in lockstep. So we covered the alignment piece. But of course, the biggest problem with Chequers is the customs arrangement. It still clings to this idea that we could have a dual tariff arrangement where we pay tariffs uh, on stuff going into the EU, but we don't, or we get a rebate on stuff that's going out into the UK, which leaves the door open to this independent trade policy. And I think if you look at what Michel Barnier has said and written, uh, it's pretty clear that that is dead. And perhaps as we'll come to, that's a pretty fundamental a uh, 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 unicorn that's been shot there because if it's not there it begs the question then what is going to be there and if what you what what you put there is that going to be able to avoid a border in the RSC and the answer to those questions so far is no well we'll come back to the border in a second maybe in the context of the status of the withdrawal agreement as well which as we all know is not the same thing as the future uh, relationship checkers paper uh, discussion um Chequers' proposal is dead in the water, as you say, uh, and the EU 27, Barney in particular, has been publicly a bit more generous about it. Uh, but um, the, the hard-nosed Brexiteers in the UK, led by uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and his uh, European Research Group, are obviously very keen to kill it. Uh, but as we speak, and this is being recorded uh, the second week of, uh, of September, um, the government has just embarked, the Prime Minister and her cabinet, on a kind of tour of Britain trying to sell the Chequers paper to the rank and file of her party. So it is a kind of strange situation we're in. Is that fair? Yeah, but very strange situation, which is that uh, she's trying to sell something which isn't going to fly. I think what she's actually trying to sell is a um, broader sense of the need for a high alignment Brexit. Let's leave it at that. Let's not get sucked into the, the labyrinth that is the customs piece and the issue with the Irish border for now. But I think what she's trying to sell is broadly a high alignment Brexit. You know what? Is, the other thing is to ask yourself: Well, what the, the alternative to Chequers is? Is Canada is an is an FTA or or Norway? Why did Mrs May reject Canada? Because if you look at supply chains, if you look at warehousing systems, if you look at uh, 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 the UK, the goods part of the UK economy, the, a, a basic FTA is not good mm. enough. It's what she said back in Florence in September. And I think what she's trying to sell fundamentally for now is the notion that actually we need to stay aligned with Europe uh, for the sake of our economy uh, and then preserve some space for divergence and that will be the basis of how she will sell whatever she does come back with which as I say will not be checkers. 
But this 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 focus on a customer's deal for goods, that's at, in her in her mind, that's a way to quote unquote solve the the, the border issue between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. So, so that so that's the problem, and it's where the, the, the Jacobs Reed Morgan the ERG come in, which is that they do not have an answer. If you want to leave the customs union and you want to leave the single market, but you have agreed to have no infrastructure and have an invisible border in Northern Ireland. How do you do that? Where, where are the checks going to be? They're not going to be on the moon. They're not going to be on the Irish border. And therefore, they're going to have to be in the Irish Sea. And of course, that's completely unacceptable to Mrs May because it, it does divide the United Kingdom. So the Brits are still pushing for an all-UK backstop, which keeps all of the UK in a customs union, and then some fix on the regulatory alignment, which amounts to 70% of the border checks. And of course, the EU is saying no to that because that's a backdoor way of getting into a single market for goods, which is cherry-picking, which, as Michelle Barney is very clear, right. uh, is, is, is dangerous to the, uh, uh, you know, the interests, inimical to the interests of the EU. And that fundamental uh, uh, dilemma has not been solved. And negotiations that have taken place in August and September have absolutely not moved the ball on, on that basic problem. And, but isn't that the, the key problem then, is that although we're talking in terms of the checkers paper, whether it's dead in the water or, or still floating slightly comatose, uh, that it tries to address the, the customs issue. Uh, but at the same time, it's linked to the withdrawal agreement, just to confuse our listeners, because that a key point of the withdrawal agreement is some kind of deal, quote unquote, on the, on the border issue. Yeah. So, I mean, the circle has not been squared. The basic circle has not been squared. I think there was a point where checkers might have worked, which required everybody to kind of close one eye and, and pretend there was enough in it for them. So if, 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 if the EU had closed an eye and gone, OK, we'll set up a unicorn hunting group in the, in the transition period and we'll all go hunting for a unicorn that allows you to have a dual tariff uh, uh, arrangement. If the Brexiteers had said, OK, well, we'll go hunting for the unicorn because we do believe it will give us an independent trade policy, uh, they might have bought it. And the Remainers could have said, well, we'll buy it because it leaves us in a temporary customs arrangement that is in, the, uh, in a customs union. And frankly, no one thinks this unicorn is going to show up. And so we'll yeah. end up. So the, 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 that was the basic conceit of checkers, but that's completely fallen apart. And when you hear uh, reading the papers talk about softening, talk about the EU wants a deal, the EU might want a deal, but it's not moving its red lines on uh, on the fact that there need to be customs checks and they need to be in the Irish Sea. And the Brits are not moving their red line. The fact that uh, uh, you know the customs border in the Irish Sea can't be done uh, because it divides up the United Kingdom. And, you know, that's the problem with this whole thing about, well, we're going to have a sort of fluffy future framework declaration that everyone's going to help everybody over the line. You talk to British officials and they'll tell you, well, how does that help? Because if you're going to go into a temporary customs arrangement that keeps you in a customs union for now, what are you bridging to? Two people talk about a bridge and a backstop. Hmm. If you agree to the backstop, which we're never going to use, by the way, <laughs> uh, which is an all-UK backstop, what are you bridging to? If you don't have an answer to that question, I, I think it's very hard for Mrs May... To sell it, and, and they're still nominally clinging to the idea that this dual tariff business can work. But I don't know anybody seriously on the EU side who thinks it could work. And even if it could work technically, and we could have an argument about that, mm. why would the EU do it politically? Why would they create a system that allows the Brits to have untrammeled access to EU to, to EU to the single market for its supply chains, but at the same time cuts side deals with other countries that would allow it to produce cheaper goods? for the, the other international markets mm. where the EU also competes. 
I mean, as one EU official said to me, the Brits talk about a rebate and we just see it as a subsidy. So whatever happens on, on this customs union idea uh, in the Chequers proposal for, for goods, it still means that the, the biggest chunk of the UK economy, i.e. services, is kind of left hung out to dry. Is that a fair point? Yeah, and I think Chequers acknowledges that, that there will be uh, an impact on services. Uh, there have to be uh, an agreement on financial services, uh, and I, you know that, that is going to be some kind of expanded version of the equivalence uh, regime, perhaps with a more generous cut-off period and a, and a more dynamic governance mechanism that respects the autonomy of both uh, 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 sets of regulators. Uh, but, you know, um, there will be an impact on services. I mean, there is mode four of the GATT. So, you know, as long as you've got the right of establishment and you can fly in, fly out, then, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not catastrophic, as I understand it, but it's clearly inferior. But, you know, the, the, it's partly because the entire conversation on trade in the UK has been sort of slightly strangely hijacked. You know, before Brexit, you know, there was a new uh, export promotion policy produced by the British government uh, almost on an annual basis. You know, yeah. and, and actually the reason why Britain wasn't terribly good at exporting stuff is that we don't make much in the way of widgets. We have a services-based economy and services are always tougher to get into uh, into foreign markets. And you can see it with how hard it is to complete the single market and services yeah. in the EU. Uh, but it has become a sort of absolutely key part of the Brexit narrative that we have to have the right to set our own tariff rates and that's where the future lies even though actually industry doesn't want that uh, uh, and you know we haven't even had a real discussion about the politics of trade yeah. you know once you become a nation of 65 million people in trading terms you know you have fairly reduced leverage compared to a block of 500 million and then you re-import the politics of trade. I mean, you remember TTIP and how invidious mm. that was. Well, in a UK context, yes, you might get cheaper trainers or cheaper um, uh, food in the supermarkets by doing deals with Argentinian meat producers or New Zealand meat producers, yeah. but that's going to have an impact on your farmers and on different constituencies. And there's no more saying, well, that was an EU trade deal. You know, that stuff, that politics of that comes right back on your doorstep. But all of that has kind of been lost in the in this one sort of talismanic issue, which is we need to regain the right to set our own tariffs. You mentioned just now the, the question of this, the famous backstop. Um, it's 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 an it's, it seems like a pedantic but an important point in the sense that it's, it seems to me that it's one of the key things which links the withdrawal agreement, which people seem increasingly optimistic an agreement could be reached on in, in the coming weeks on the one hand, and the future relationship between the UK and the EU on the other. You were hinting just now, maybe you're saying more, quite clearly that you're questioning the status of the backstop. But where do we stand on the backstop? Because my understanding was that the, the European Council, was it last December or more recently, uh, only agreed to discussions about the future relationship on the basis that this backstop would have some 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 force, some, some strength. You know, there is an interesting question about the backstop, which is that the European Commission's negotiators and lawyers constantly saying Article 50 can't be used to create anything to do with the future relationship. And yet, you know, it's not hard to find many British officials going, well, what's the backstop if it's not about the future relationship? I think the problem with the backstop is it needs to be all weather. Right. It needs to survive whatever happens next. And remember, the transition period is only 21 months. Mm. So the reason you need a backstop is that we probably won't get a new commission properly functioning until October, yeah. November, maybe even December if the of next year, European yeah. election yeah. results are not very good. Christmas time happens. Hmm. We're into 2020. Uh, this uh, association agreement, trade agreement that is being made between the two by September 
it's quite clear it's not going to be ready. Mm. Nobody, I don't know, a trade expert in the world who thinks you can stand up that kind of agreement by, by in a year. No. So then there has to be a discussion about money. And the Prime Minister of the day, two years out from a general election or 18 months out from a general election, has because we're only paid up to 2020, the withdrawal agreement only mm. pays us up to 2020. So then you're going to have a situation where we're going to be paying lots of money to continue with the status quo. Now, at that point, it's possible that you hit another cliff edge and you get another no deal and the EU wants legal guarantees that we will have an mm. invisible border. And so that's why the backstop immediately then leads you into a question, well, how likely is it yeah. that we get a deal yeah. in the future relationship? If we leave it empty, if we do a blind Brexit yeah. and there's no ability to extend the transition period, then... Mm. You know, you're just creating a world of pain down the line. They've got their certainty. And that's why the Brits are now saying we need to link. The, the Brits aren't interested in a blind backstop. The trouble is that the Brits are interested in a, sorry, in a blind Brexit. Brexit. The, the Brits are, want, in fact, uh, Rab is lobbying for the fact that the future framework should have a kind of linked legal force mm. to give it weight to convince the Brexiteers to sign up to the backstop. The, the trouble is that that then loads a lot of pressure onto the future framework because, as we were discussing, if the two unicorns are dead, which yeah. is the technical fixes and the dual tariff regime, if they're both lying dead in the dirt, then what is at the end of the rainbow? And at the moment, nobody has clarity. If you read all this stuff about you know the, the EU wants to suffer, Barnier wants a deal, he says, if we're realistic. Well, yeah. that's code for if you accept that we have a customs yeah. border in the Irish Sea, you de-dramatise it. Yeah. Well, I keep bringing this back to the withdrawal agreement. Uh, I know you can't really separate the two. They are two separate things, but they are clearly linked, the, the withdrawal agreement and the future discussion, the future relationship discussion. But I, I mentioned now again, I'm insisting a bit, Peter, because a lot of talk now, a lot of optimism seems to be all of a sudden after the summer that some kind of some agreement will be reached on the withdrawal agreement in the coming weeks in, term, in time for a European Council, maybe in November. And just to remind our listeners, the withdrawal agreement it comprises three main elements, the, 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 the money, the, the bill, is it 39 billion, whatever? Point one, point two, citizens' rights, EU, UK, UK and EU, and then the the border issue. We're talking on the on the island of Ireland. So, what is your reading of the the, the likelihood or the probability of uh, agreement on the withdrawal agreement in the coming weeks? I think it's considerably lower than people understand because, as Michel Barnier has kept saying, we are eighty percent done, but we're not. That leaves the twenty percent, which is the most difficult. Which is the most difficult bit because, as we've just been discussing, the the two sides are talking past each other on the backstop. And the backstop is really just code for what the customs arrangements are going to be. And as I say, all of the mechanisms that you might have used to kind of fudge that into the future, which mm. is partly what Chequers was designed to do, have been exploded on both sides. You know, Brexiteers are not prepared to buy into the notion that mm. a dual tariff arrangement is going to get them a free trading arrangement. They, they exploded that. Michel Barnier has you know, dumped on them from a considerable height. So you go back to the fact that the Brits are, have kind of given up on Barnier. Mm. Uh, they've got all everything invested in a, uh, in a summit of the leaders and right. on the week of November 12th, I think, is the plan. Mm. Uh, and, you know, well, we've seen it before where, where there is a sort of strange confidence in Downing Street that in the end it'll all be all right in the night and the EU will fold. I mean, there's a lot of that in the Cameron negotiation, a lot of yeah. which didn't come to yeah. fruition. Yeah. Remember, we're about to be a third country. Mm. And I think there is a real danger here that um, we're making some assumptions that the EU is going to fold on, fold on this and fold on that. And what would make me nervous is 
in previous iterations of this process, if you go back to December and getting sufficient progress and the money, and there were always landing zones. You could argue about the politics, mm. but there were always landing zones. Now it's not clear to me what the landing zone is because they're not de- the Brits are not developing a plan B no. on, on the backstop and the Europeans are digging their toes in. And when I talk to officials on both sides, they seem equally confident to me that when the crucible, when the pressure builds, the other side's going to fold. Well, let's talk a bit about Let's shift the focus away from the UK briefly and move to the E27, since you mentioned more than once Michel Barnier. You know, there's a lot of talk out there at the moment that um, you want Michel Barnier is not so much being sidelined, although some reports uh, indicate that, but certainly he would be given a slightly more uh, flexible mandate by, from the member states. Point one, point two, that... With or without the the UK government trying to divide and rule, there's talk about you know the heavyweight member state leaders, whether it's Mrs Merkel or Mr Macron, moving in and saying let's just do a deal, irrespective of what the the, the ongoing negotiations are uh, are, are indicating. Um, and and on 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 top of that, whether it's deserved or not, whether it's uh, uh, merited or not, in a sense from the UK bad behaviour point of view, the, the EU27 should show more flexibility and almost help the, the UK out of the hole it's, it's dug itself into. All those things together, do you think that the, the, the parameters of the, of the discussion now after la rentrée are going to shift significantly on the, on the European side? I, I'm not sure that I do, actually. I think, I think at the margin, uh, the European side wants to do what it, it doesn't want a no deal. Yeah. Right, but you know, you keep asking the question. It's all very well saying we don't want a no deal. We can have a strawberries and cream future framework declaration, but when it comes back to well, what concessions are you going to make to the Brits to help? You know, are you going to give them this single market in goods? Right. Let's say, for sake of argument, the Brits made a bunch of concessions at the death mm. of this negotiation. Are you then going to give them? So they offer to pay and they offer to do a sort of preferential migration regime and they offer uh, to be more dynamically aligned on, on, on the regulatory front, etc. Um, are you then going to cut Mrs May a deal that she can sell? Because, you know, it's just it is remarkable how little clarity there yeah. is. People will say, oh, we, we, we're going to we'll solve the Northern Irish question in the future framework and then you ask them okay well what are you going to put in the future framework that yeah. is going to allow mrs may to say accept a temporary customs arrangement accept staying in the customs union because we're going to the sunny uplands and the sunny uplands looks like you know it's not there yeah. and so you know that worries me uh, i i think the, you know that by all accounts uh, depending on who you believe but um you know the meetings with macron and merkel were broadly positive over the summer um, I think they were overspun by Downing Street, who were sort of saying that, you know, Michel Barnier is about to be sidelined. Mm. I think if you listen to Emmanuel Macron on August the 20th to the diplomatic corps, it didn't sound to me like he was moving off, yeah. uh, really moving off his red lines. So if the four freedoms are fundamentally undivisible still, is there a deal to be done? Because mm. I go back to the fact that both sides seem to think that in the heat of battle mm. in the heat in the crucible you know as we get close as we get maybe through november and there's no deal we get into december mm. you know the markets start to rock everybody starts to mm. you know uh, really get the jitters you know because that seems to me that's the only way that we really we get a, a deal are the eu then prepared mm. to move and if they're not well, i don't think there's a massive reason to think they're prepared to uh, um divide the four freedoms no uh, you know, Ivan Rogers says 
maybe at the death if they get everything else that they want but he doesn't make a firm prediction yeah. on that score. And we're certainly not, at the moment, the Brits are not in that space at the moment. Yeah. I think the Brits probably think that there's no point getting there too early. Well, you know, the, the quicker, the, the, the later we play this, the more pressure there is on both sides. The more pressure is on the EU to move, the more pressure is on the Brexiteers to accept whatever she comes back with vis-a-vis -vis a chaotic crash out. Mm. And hopefully... Um, it can be smuggled over the line. Um, but as you know, Ivan is often seen uh, maybe unfairly as an ultimate pessimist, but he is, and you've written about it extensively, is saying that the EU, uh, on both sides, because we're still <laughs> members of the European Union, uh, talking across purposes, and uh, we're sleepwalking towards a no-deal situation. Well, I agree with him, and I agree with him, because you know the conversations, as I say, the conversations I have with those who are doing this um, don't inspire confidence they're both fundamentally talking past each other on the backstop right. in the belief that the both sides are going to fold and i think ivan um i think ivan said in dublin this week didn't he that, yeah. um, that, that there's a there's a higher chance than than an uncomfortably high chance that we're into uh, a pretty stormy territory um well the clock is certainly ticking out because everybody seems to agree even there's been a slight um relaxation of these informal deadlines that by say november early to mid-november there has to be some kind of deal unless a no deal becomes the only uh likelihood in for sake of argument bear with me so there is a, some kind of deal struck whatever uh, content it has which mrs may has to bring back to the house of commons obviously um are you are you predicting that it will be rejected in the end because so many people will have already made their minds up, actually, irrespective of what the thing contains, to reject the deal? So I, I don't cover... Um, I'm not a whip and I don't cover uh, Westminster politics, but I know that um, the, the only hope that Downing Street clings to on this is that if if when they bring the deal back and it looks something like checkers so mm. the withdrawal agreement talks about free trade agreement with customs cooperation um although it's still not clear to me mm. how a free trade agreement with customs cooperation avoids a, a border in the irish sea right. and where that leaves the dup yeah you know i mean yeah. we go back to this right but let's yeah. say i don't know the brits swallow the backstop which i think is very difficult but they swallow the backstop and the, we talk about a free trade agreement uh, and, you know, we've agreed to sort of payments going forward and there's customs cooperation, which is a sort of EU vision. Right now, you'd say there's no chance that that goes through. But look, look I guess the, 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 the hope of Downing Street is that when you get into the crucible, you know, the jumbo jet is heading towards terra firma. You know, we've gone from 46,000 feet, it's 30,000, 25,000. The markets are starting to judder. Bits of the engine cowling are flying off, you know, and the machine's going, pull up, pull up. You know, the, in that scenario, a lot of the Brexiteers uh, decide that actually it's better to get over the line, let the legal guillotine fall, yeah. end our membership. And then that's their key, key priority is yeah, to get and out. Then, and then, so then Downing Street calculates that a lot of the tough talk starts to melt away. It's interesting the ERG haven't produced another um, alternative plan. Alternative plan. Uh, and so I guess they calculate that there are a certain number of ERG types, uh, you know, Mogite types, who would never vote for the deal. And mm. the question is how many? And can they retrieve, offset those votes with Labour voters who. 
you know, with Labour Labour members who will who don't want to see a No Deal scenario, uh, and who will will get something over the line. And if not, who knows what happens? Right. General election, probably. Well, let's finish off this fascinating discussion, Peter. By we talked about. No deal at great length. We talked about, in effect, hard Brexit, Canada, soft Brexit, Norway plus, even this new version, the blind or blindfold Brexit. What we haven't talked about so far, let's finish off with this, is um, is no Brexit at all. I Well, at least a, a second referendum, otherwise known as a people's vote or people's vote, otherwise known as a second referendum. What likelihood do you think about of that happening, given that as we speak, uh, this is the week of the Trade Union conf- uh, Congress meeting, annual Congress meeting, and uh, a lot of key um, members, uh, trade union members of the TUC and the TUC itself have said, unless a deal uh, comes along which we can agree to, uh, can live with, then we are going to, our view is we should have a second vote. So maybe in a no-deal scenario that increases the likelihood that Corbyn bows to a second referendum. I still think there are loads of really really difficult reasons why you know the window for landing the second referendum is in, is incredibly narrow mm. um i mean time is running out yeah, as because, well because because ultimately it has to be a government there has to be a bill through parliament the government has to put a bill through parliament mm. to uh, force a second referendum i think that would be political suicide for any tory you look where the grassroots are mm. on brexit i think much more likely you get a general election all right actually um because I also don't, you know, what what question does a second referendum ask? Mm. Is it on the deal? Listen to the discussion that we've just had. How can you have a meaningful, you know, plebiscite on all this? You know, is everyone going to get a, you know, telephone directory through the post where they get to talk about the customs union and a common external tax? I just don't buy it. I just think it's, haven't we learned our lesson about referendums? Yeah. I mean, you know, to me, and then in any way, what would it achieve? You know, or, or, or is the referendum on uh, leaving and staying? If it's on leaving and staying, the Brexiteers, the 17 million plus who voted to leave, are going to be super motivated, I think, not to have their Brexit stolen from them. Hmm. Let, I mean, the polls seem to fluctuate, but I think it will come very narrow again. It may, maybe even the Brexit side wins again. In any event, I don't see an absolutely clear cut result from that referendum. Hmm. At which point, you know, I just think you poison you know, the, the, the blowback from a, from a four, let's say it's a 52-48 remain. What are you going to do, mm. best of three? Yeah. I know you're a big supporter of the second referendum. <laughs> I, 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 think, I just think it's, I think it's, I just think it's, and there's something really fundamental shifts in public opinion. Yeah. And it's really clear that, you know, the worm has turned. And it's quite hard to see yeah. how that happens because you don't get to try before you buy. And you know, no one's, in fact, you know, look at the GDP numbers. Economy is actually having a pre-Brexit bounce. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I am trying to stay neutral and biting my tongue in the process, mm. which is starting to bleed probably. But on the general election as an alternative to a, a second referendum, people's vote. There's the counter argument, the one you put out, which is that it's a way because if there's a general election, there's a very good chance the Labour Party would win it, and therefore the Conservative Party would be even less keen on a general election rather than a, a second vote. In the second vote, the the Theresa May could say, well, actually, I, I've done my best. I've done what possible. I brought what, what possible deal I, I can to the House of Commons for, for, for support, uh, for endorsement, and it hasn't worked. So let's go back to the country yeah. through a referendum. Yeah, it's an argument. I'm not sure it's one, from what I understand, that's uh, shared in Downing Street. 
I don't think it's their thinking. I think they think more more, more towards a general election, from what I understand, than, than a second referendum. But I, you know, I, I again, I don't cover British politics, and no. I don't anyone who pretends they've got a crystal ball on on this stuff uh, uh, is killing themselves. You know, I, I don't know, like anybody else. Well, so a short way to finish off, totally a short answer to a very short question: the likelihood of a, a no deal Brexit in the coming weeks. What what uh, what chance do you put on that? I don't like numbers, Paul. Okay. I don't like numbers. Okay. I, 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 or use adjective, or adjectives and adverbs. I, I would just likely, say this. highly likely, I, unlikely. I, I think it is more likely than is commonly understood, and uh, I, I worry that um, when 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 people when both sides talk about goodwill and need for mm, deal, etc., yeah. on the substance, I've yet to hear. Solutions now. Maybe that's because everyone's staking their, mm. their 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 place out. Uh, maybe that's just the way the negotiation is keeping their cards there. Yeah, just uh, 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 in that actually. But but again, you know, the Brits sort of I think calculate that there's going to be a kind of great big all nighter. Mm. Uh, you know, in the kind of style oh. of the eurozone negotiation, and, and sheer exhaustion. Angela and Emmanuel are going to move <laughs> in, and they're going to sit around and draft up a document. And they're yeah. all going to kind of. You know, I think it's possible that doesn't happen actually. Right. Okay, well, we have to leave it there. Peter Foster, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure.